Hey, good morning, Crosswalk. How's everybody doing? Good? You doing all right? Yeah, wake up a little bit. That's all right. That's all right. Um, welcome. Yeah, so I don't think we've told you about this group before. We, we have lots of groups that reach out to us that kind of are getting organized in people's homes and that sort of thing. Usually it's not until they have 20, 30 people that are meeting that kind of reach out to us and say, hey, we've been watching you guys. We know that you like to plant churches. Is, you know, would, would you like to partner? Would you like to, we'd like to become a crosswalk thing. Um, and so Woodlands, um, a group from Woodlands, Texas, which is north of Houston, I believe, um, gave us a call and said, we'd like to get organized. And we said, yeah, the first thing we do is we start a conversation with the conference. So we talked to their conference on Thursday and on Monday, their conference voted that they become an official group in their conference, which is amazing. Yeah. Because like Foothills took like a year or something. Chattanooga took eight or nine months. Like it usually takes a really long time. That also means we were not prepared for that to happen. And um, they were like, oh no, what do we do? Do we have to start meeting? Do we have to start meeting? Do we have to like build a church like immediately? Do we have to rent a space? We're like, hang on, hang on, hang on. So they just started kids program. And Josh, just for the record, I'm pretty sure the Texas style means um, barbecue tofu. <laughs> I think. I mean, I'm sure they can wear, wear hats. I, I don't think I should make fun of Texas. They have a lot of guns there. I don't want to. <laughs> yeah, don't mess with Texas, as they say. Welcome. Um, so two things you should know about. First of all, I have a weird twitch in my eye. It's been happening for like three weeks now. So if during the talk, I literally stick my finger in my eye, it's so it will stop twitching because it's super annoying. Um, so number one, I apologize for that. Number two, if you've noticed, these lights are out. We blew a breaker in the first service because 9 a.m. was just lit, as the kids say. Like 9 a.m. was just going in and we brought... <laughs> you guys have never been to a 9 a.m. service. <laughs> Anyway, um, so apparently we blew a circuit, so that's why that side's not working. And I know some of you are kind of like left-handed when it comes to looking at the screens. So you're like, oh, it's not there anymore. You know what's weird about these screens? I'm right here. <laughs> right here. You could look at me. I noticed this when I was first a youth pastor and we did this, this place called the Backstage Cafe, which was the back of a stage. And um, we put a little cafe in it. I'm not telling you this story very well, am I? Just repeating the same words. Um, anyway, we put up two like old school TVs. You know, we hung them from the wall. And it was a tiny, tiny room. It wasn't even as big as this stage. And, and I would be up speaking and my youth group would be looking like this. At me, that was about this big when I was right there and maybe like this far away from the TV. So there's something weird about having image magnification that maybe it, I seem more important when I'm up there than here. I get that. We're just chatting now, apparently. Should we start the sermon, I think? Okay, we're in this series called Love Well, um, where we're talking about our five end statements, the five statements that Crosswalk finds as their value statements and what we are about. I'm going to read through them as I have done every week and will continue to so these kind of become imprinted indelibly on your hearts and in your minds. The first one is that Crosswalk will be a community of belonging. And um, we're serious about that. We've always been serious about that. We will continue to be serious about that. You can find a home here. Anyone you want to bring can find a home here here. That's important. Number two, Crosswalk will be a community 
where people learn, grow in an authentic relationship with God. We talked about this last week. This is our discipleship statement, right? You can, you can grow to faith, towards faith maturity here in this spot. A lot of it has to do with how much you engage, small groups, service, that sort of thing. We want you to continue to grow um, authentically in your relationship with God as, as you move here. This week, we're going to be talking about number three, which is Crosswalk will be relevant in living out the ways of Jesus in our place and time, and we'll come back to that in a bit. Number four, Crosswalk will be a community that lives beyond herself by caring and advocating for the powerless, the oppressed, and the abandoned. And lastly, Crosswalk will be a community that exemplifies servant leadership, which I just believe is the most excellent form of leadership and leads us to some really important and great excellence as well. But this week, this is the statement that we're talking about. Crosswalk will be relevant in living out the ways of Jesus in our place and time. If you don't know what that word relevant means, it basically means appropriate to the current time, to the current period or current circumstances. Um, you can say it's of contemporary interest, right? So it matters to you. And I love this statement because it's pretty clear. Crosswalk will be relevant in living out the ways of Jesus in our place and time. So there's an assumption that we can make from this first statement, which is, we exist in place and time. You know that, right? We are here right now. It is October 23, 2021. You know we're Avenus. Anytime you get around October 22, you just got to make a joke, right? <laughs> it's October 23, and I'm so disappointed. <laughs> I didn't say they were good jokes. I just said sometimes you got to make a joke. Right, uh, 2021, Redland, we're in Redlands, Redlands, California. We're barely in Redlands, California, though. Have you noticed that? We're technically, the sign for Redlands is like two miles down there, but we're in Redlands. But if you call the Redlands Police Department, they are not coming. <laughs> They're like, you're not in Redlands. We're like, we are. That's what, and they won't come. Um, but technically, we are in Redlands. Um, in fact, specifically, 10... 1042, I think it's 10425. I know the other building is 10421. 10425 Corporate Drive. That matters. It matters that we are in Southern California in this place, in this time, right now. And if it, if, if it didn't matter, then it wouldn't be relevant. But it's relevant. This makes a difference. You, this is what you put into your GPS when you come here to church. So we're going to be relevant in living out the ways of Jesus in our place and time. So it's going to be here. It's going to be now. We're not going to be relevant to 1400. We're not going to be relevant to 400. We're going to be relevant to 2021. And we're not going to apologize for that. In fact, we believe that God has called us to that. Relevancy is a funny word um, in that it really, it sends some people in the wrong direction. They really don't like it. In fact, as I was studying for this sermon this week, um, I read some guy's, I don't know if it was a blog post or article or something he had written. He said, I'll go to any church unless they have the word relevant in their website. And if they do, I'm not going to it because I know that they're just um, compromising. And we'll get to the word compromise later. But I thought, oh, that's, that's kind of interesting because I don't actually believe that. Um, I actually believe that relevancy reflects the incarnation. Let's start right there. Um, Jesus came in a relevant manner. That manner was he was a human being. 
Before Jesus came, what we had is we had, um, we had a God transcendent that we were definitely trying to understand, for sure. We did things like sacrificial systems. We put up altars. We made temples. And we believed in God. Sometimes prophets would show up and, and say stuff, and they had some sort of revelation from God. That, was, that helped. That helped us understand who it was. Sometimes it helped. It didn't always help. Sometimes the prophets were like performance artists. Have you ever read the book of Hosea? Like, that guy was crazy. And he was trying to tell us what God meant or what God was like. And we didn't always get it. We didn't always understand it. And so, um, so, so God saw it fit to come down to earth in a relevant manner. And that relevancy was his human form, the incarnation, his enfleshment. And because he came down in that manner, he was not just relevant, but particular. So he came down to a particular place, right, Middle East, at a particular time, to a particular people, the Jewish nation, to a particular religion, to a particular group of people, to a particular family, to a particular mother. Like it was particular, and that's relevant because now we understand him. What we sought to understand before from, from the transcendent and, and universal God, we now see in the particular, and we get to see him in a different way. And that builds relevancy for us understanding God. I mean, think about it. I can talk about my wife, and I do often. You hear me talk about her. I say that she's way smarter than me, which is true. She's beautiful. She's amazing. She's this amazing person. And you guys can all get that. You can go, yeah, that seems like a really great person. Until you meet her, you have a hard time saying that is a really great person. Once you meet her, she becomes relevant to you in a completely different way. And so when we met God in his human form, when we met God as Jesus, we all of a sudden went, got it. That makes more sense to me. I never understood it before, but now I understand it. John 1.14 says it this way. So the word became human. We, in some translations, as you know, it says, so the word became flesh. The word became human and made his home among us. He moved into the neighborhood. He was full of unfailing love and faithfulness. And we have seen his glory and the glory of the Father's one and only Son. So among us, that's the important part, particular. He showed up living and breathing and eating and laughing. Jesus engaged. He engaged in culture, right? He was Jewish. He was part of that culture. He went to the temple. He, he, he engaged in conversation with people. And he even engaged in conflict. Jesus was relevant because he was human, but also because he showed us what love was in a way that we didn't really understand it before that. All of a sudden we recognize, wait a second, love, real love, real intentional, real un, un oh, what's the word I'm looking for? Real indelible and intentional love. This is what it's like. And you see, when Jesus expressed what love was, he made us realize that he was relevant because love is always relevant. I don't think there's a person in this room who would say, I just am loved too much. I just, I can't take anymore. I mean, there's clinginess, but we could argue like codependency is not exactly love, right? We can argue that. But when someone truly loves you, like, it's amazing. So, Jesus expresses what relevancy is by becoming human. So yeah, I think being a relevant church makes sense because it's honoring the relevancy that God created in our lives. Number two, I think this, relevancy expresses the golden rule, 
right? And the reason why it expresses the golden rule, well, let me read the golden rule first, right? Matthew 7, 12, in it, Jesus sums up how God's people are to treat other people, right? Do unto others whatever you would like them to do to you. This is the essence of all that is taught in the law and prophets, right? This fulfills the law. Um, but how do we like people to treat us? We like people to meet us on our own level, don't we? We like people to speak in language that we understand. We like people to say things that make sense to us, to show an interest in the things that matter to us, to use even a vocabulary that we understand, right? We need that. If you've ever sat in a doctor's office and the physician says, this is what you have, and you look at him or her like, dumb it down. And they're like, oh, it's like this. And you're like, lower. <laughs> like you're sick, got it. Right? Sometimes we need people to speak in the language that we understand because that's actually love. It helps us understand things more than we have before. Right? If we like to be treated this way, we should likewise strive to be relevant to the culture that we choose to speak into, in the methods and styles that we use to communicate the gospel, and in the ways that we live out our Christian life. But I should take a moment here because I know the criticism to relevancy. I've heard it a few times. And this is where that word compromise shows up. And in fact, it's not usually just compromise. It's usually a lot scarier than that. It's creeping compromise. You do not find that as funny as I did. Creeping compromise, right? So let's ask the question. Doesn't this lead to compromise? Wait a second. Wait a second. So you're going to speak into the world in the way that the world would understand. That's compromise. Okay, well, maybe let's, let's deal with this, right? What ends up happening is we talk about, we talk about compromising. <clears throat> we talk about um, the fact that we shouldn't be compromising. We should be keeping our standards high. That's what we often say in the church world. We should be keeping our standards high, and we should not be reflecting what the world is doing. I get that. I get that. I get that standing on a stage that has been called a nightclub. Like, you haven't been to a nightclub lately. But I get it. It's new. It's new. People get confused and people get concerned. So understand that. And what ends up happening is we end up happening, what ends up happening is we end up getting into a few categories, right? One of the categories is conservative. I'm conservative, so I would never do that sort of thing in church, which is interesting. Or I'm progressive, so of course I'm going to do that stuff in church. Now, I think those labels are by and large superfluous. They're really stupid, and we don't really understand them by and large. However, I do have some questions. When someone says I'm a conservative, my question is this, what are you conserving? No, I'm serious. Like, what is it that you're trying to conserve? Explain to me what that is. Because if someone says to me, well, I'm trying to conserve an old style of worship, I'm like, cool, I'm glad you like organs. <laughs> you conserve that in your life. Not everybody's there, right? But I also have a question for those among us who believe that they're progressive. And my question is, what are you progressing? Because if someone says, I just really like this type of music and I think everybody should worship that way, I'm not all that interested in you either. What are you moving forward? What are you progressing? What are you interested in expanding? Uh, the truth is, to be relevant, you must be sh both sure of what you are conserving and clear about what you are progressing. So let me tell you how I think this works out at Crosswalk. 
I actually think Crosswalk is 100% the most conservative church in the Seventh-day Adventist denomination because we are very clear on what we're conserving, the gospel of Jesus Christ. That is what we preach, that is what we teach, that is what we sing, that is what we want our kids to understand, that's what we want our high school people to understand, that's what we want our future of group to understand. We want them to understand the grace and love of Jesus Christ, his death, his resurrection, his continued ministry for us through the Holy Spirit. We absolutely want to conserve that. We're not shy about it. We don't pretend about it. We understand that Jesus is both the milk and the meat. He's the message and the messenger. All of it, man. We're about Jesus. That's what we're trying to conserve here. Simple as that. Yeah. Okay. I also have a tendency to believe that that Crosswalk is absolutely the most progressive church within the Seventh-day Adventist world. And what are we trying to progress? We are trying to progress the kingdom of God to every home, to every family that we can. We want people to know that the kingdom of God is a place for them, a place where they can live, a place where they can breathe, breathe, a place where they can laugh and pray. The kingdom of God is for them as well. So we're going to conserve the message of Jesus and we're going to progress the kingdom of God. Is that okay? Can we do that? All right. So, so... But some people will say, but I don't like the way you do church. And my answer to that is, okay. You don't have to. Like, you don't have to. (laughs) I like it. Um, There's a maxim that we say here at Crosswalk that comes up every once in a while. And it's this, marry the message, but just date the method. Right? So the message is never going to change. We're going to preach Jesus until I'm old and gray. (laughs) As it was coming out of my mouth, I knew what was about to happen. You see the catch there? uh, It's it's there. Um, But but we do church in this format today. Ten years from now, we probably shouldn't. Ten years from now, if we're doing the same thing, we just somehow made this holy, right? And everybody's got a line. Everybody's got a line that they don't like to cross. And I've told this story before. It was a few years ago. I'm going to tell it again. I was watching this, this worship conference coming out of Atlanta. The Passion Conference is amazing, right? 80,000 people worshiping together. And I'm in. I'm watching it on my little screen like I'm pretending like I'm there. And I love it. And they're singing this song that I really like. And right in the middle of the song, there's a break. And, and Lecrae, the rapper, comes out. And he starts rapping. And I'm like, I don't like what they did in the song. And I immediately went to, no, I don't think that honors God. Because in my head, they messed with something that I felt was a little sacred. But then I had heard that before as people had told me that before. And I thought, I don't like the way that sounds in my head. And so I called over my assistant. I was like, hey, can you look at this? Can you tell me what this, like, do you like this? Do you tell me? And so she comes in the room and she's like, oh, yeah. And she's vibing with it. And she's like, this is amazing. Praise God. Praise God. I'm like, really? You like that? She's like, yeah. And just for the record, like, I'm a fan of rap. It just, it, I wasn't ready. Like, they did not prepare middle-aged white man for this. (laughs) I needed a little run-up. I'm just letting you know. Anyway, um, so I'm looking at her, and she's like, yeah, praise God. Her hands up in our office. is weird. And I realized, there's my line. I found my line. I was 42, which seems really early. Some of you have that line at, like, 16, just for the record. But for me, it was 42. 
I was 42 years old, and I went, oh, I don't like that. And then I went, why, why don't I like, I like that? Is it because it's not holy? Is it because it's not honoring God? Or is it because I don't like it? And I was like, oh, I don't like it. Oh, no one cares. <laughs> right? It, it's just a way of doing something. In 10 years, if Crosswalk looks exactly the same, we've done something wrong. We stop listening to the Holy Spirit and where he's progressing us. It's important that we understand that. See, because what we do is this. What we do is say, oh, I like this. I'm pretty sure God likes it too. Because God and I have very similar tastes. So what we do is then we say, we find a way to make what we like holy. We find a way to make what we like, and we put words on it like biblical. So this is the biblical form of worship. What you're doing is not biblical. Well, yeah, I don't know if you know this, but they didn't have electric guitars in the Bible. They came way later. You know what the Bible says about worship, by the way? By and large, it says a lot of things like our, the, you know, the, the position of our heart and that sort of thing. But when it talks about like the function of worship, we should all be playing liars right now. Does anyone here play a liar? There's going to be somebody who's like, I'm really into the Renaissance stuff. I play a liar. Yeah, nobody plays liars. That's, worship God with liars and with trumpets and with symbols. It's like, okay, well, we got the symbol part. But um, what we do is we make the method holy, and we say, if you don't do that method, or if you deviate from this method, which we believe is holy, then you're doing something that is unbiblical. That's ludicrous. And quite honestly, that stops the kingdom of God from progressing because it means that people who don't like the same things that you do don't get to hear the message or they have to suffer through something they really don't like. I hope you understand what I'm saying. Even though relevancy is certainly way beyond the idea of just church service, when people push back on us and say, you shouldn't do church that way, my answer to them is, okay, then how should we do it that's better and more relevant and speaks into people's lives? If you have a better way, I want to hear it. I'm not married to this method. I like it, but I'm not married to it. I can't wait to see what comes next. And I want to make certain that I'm not the guy who's stopping the next progression of the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's important. So like I said, if you walk in this room 10 years from now and nothing's changed, that's on us. And we need to make sure we're staying relevant because relevancy is an outcome of believing in the great commission. And I didn't spell that wrong. I believe that God asked us to come along in his mission to expand the kingdom, to give grace to everyone in the world. And he does it with us. You know how I know he does it with us? Because he says it like this, therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And then he says, lo, I'm with you always until the end of the age. He's with us. So it's a co-mission. We do it together with God. But how do we do this if we don't understand the people who we are supposed to be reaching? If we tell people, you got to come to church, but I'm going to have to sit next to you and translate every word that is said because you don't understand the words that are coming out of the pastor's mouth because he or she didn't bother to speak in a language that made sense. Can you imagine being a Roman Catholic the first time they did mass in your language and moved it away from Latin, which, by the way, caused huge issues historically within the Catholic Church. But can you imagine the first time the priest starts saying the mass and you can understand it? Why don't we get to use contemporary language in the way that we worship, 
in the way that we share the gospel? Why don't we use, why don't we get to use contemporary methods of digital technology and all these types of things? Of course we do. Do you think there's something that God can't use? Because I don't know if you remember this, but the cross, that symbol, it wasn't great. That symbol meant death and destruction. It meant pain and torture. It meant oppression and it meant aggression. But it doesn't mean that anymore. Because when Jesus steps in, everything changes. And this is the God who created everything, so he certainly can't change everything. If we want the great commission of God to happen in our lives and to our families and to our friends, it means that we've got to speak in a way that they understand. Right? You can't start with haystacks. That's got to be like third or fourth paragraph. You can't use the term vespers because it sounds like a disease. Those are old jokes. I'm sorry. You still laugh at them, but they're old. If you want to reach people and you wonder what's relevant to them, why don't you first ask the question, what's relevant to you? What do you care about? What do you find yourself doing? What do you fall in love with? What, do you, what takes up your time? Chances are there's people just like you who speak the same language, who understand the same things you do, who only you can have a conversation with. I can't but you can in a way that makes sense to them. And then they can come to church because we've taken away all the barriers of misunderstanding that church is often put in the way. And we've said, come here, grab a cup of coffee, sit down, enjoy phenomenal music, hear the word opened and be loved well. It's not rocket science. I just did... I think I mentioned a few weeks ago, I had done a presentation for the South Pacific Division on our multi-site model, um, which was really cool. This week I did another presentation for the North American Division for their church planting and church revitalization boot camp they're doing in a couple weeks. And they said, we want like 45 minutes. And I'm like, oh, what we do isn't that complicated. Like, but I know they didn't want me to stand up and go, love well. So, so I made up a bunch of slides that basically said the same thing over and over again. But, but the point is, we have to speak into people's lives in a way that makes sense to them. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you. And be sure of this, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. You see, Jesus tells us what is relevant to him and to the kingdom of God. And he tells us this over and over, but it becomes really clear in Matthew 5, what we call the Beatitudes. I'm going to go through them relatively quick, right? One day he saw the crowds gathering. Jesus went up on the mountainside, sat down because he sits down when he's getting serious about opening up the scriptures and when he gets serious about telling you what the kingdom is all about. He began to teach them, it says in Matthew 5, 2. God blesses those, or as you've heard it, blessed are those who are poor, poor in spirit is what he's talking about. The first three are about the condition of your heart. Blessed are those who are poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. How is this relevant? The beginning of wisdom is understanding the, the position of your heart, right? When we understand that we need Jesus, that's the beginning of faith. Right? The Beatitudes begin with a person's heart. So it begins something that the kingdom values or a kingdom value of Jesus is that a willing heart 
is relevant to the gospel. Honest, authentic, understanding what it lacks. Truth about oneself is relevant and important to God. And then the next phrase is interesting. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Now, we can take this out of context and say just those who mourn for people that they've lost. It's a wonderful promise, absolutely. But it's actually connected to the first verse, which says, you know, blessed are those who are poor in spirit, who understand the lack they have in their heart. Because the penitent person who recognizes the weight of his or her sin and spiritual bankruptcy can only respond with sorrow. So you see this progression? You recognize that you're broken. You recognize you don't have a full heart. You recognize that you need Jesus and that breaks you even more. Blessing is not just something, is not just making someone happy, right? A biblical concept of blessing is deeper joy in the midst of pain, hope in the midst of hopelessness and an unperturbable sense that God is with us. And then it says, God blesses those who are humble for they will inherit the whole earth. Humility matters to God and is relevant to him as well. In fact, in some of the translations, it says, blessed are the meek for they will inherit the whole earth. But I want to be clear on something. Meekness is not weakness. Being meek is humility. Being meek is understanding that I don't have a full heart and the weight of this sin is breaking me down and causing me to mourn. And as God begins to fill me up, I do not take that power and become arrogant. I stay humble in my understanding. I stay meek in the way that God is filling me up. And then as you begin to get filled up, you begin to recognize that God is saying, okay, now this is not just about you. God blesses those who hunger and thirst for justice, for righteousness, for they will be satisfied, right? They want to be made right with others and with God and with the world. A desire for the way things should be is always relevant to the kingdom of God. Happiness comes from the assurance that all righteousness, all justice will someday be fulfilled. We work for it in today's world, but we also know it will not be made perfect until Jesus comes again. The believer in the world will then be made righteous, but it comes from God. God blesses those who are merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Listen, kingdom servants must reflect in their own hearts the heart of the king. They are part of the kingdom. That they are part of the kingdom implies that they are objects of mercy, so they become others-oriented. And our hearts must reflect the heart of God. And his heart is filled with love, with mercy, with compassion. Hearts absent of this are not kingdom hearts at all. God blesses those who are pure, for they will see God. Hearts that are pure. God blesses the pure in heart. Now, this is easy to think of like, well, I don't have a pure heart. I think bad thoughts, whatever. That's not what we're talking about, I don't believe. I think what he's talking about when he says pure hearts, he's talking about focus, undistracted, and seeking the purpose that God has for them. You want a good example of someone with a pure heart who was not the easiest person to get along with? Paul is a good example of this. Paul was undistractable from the mission that God had put him on. He did not stop. He wasn't always easy. He wasn't simple. He wasn't the, the nicest person, but he had a pure heart in that he was going after what the kingdom was showing to him was relevant. Matthew 5, 9, God blesses those who work for peace, for they will be called the children of God. Peace is first and foremost internal and spiritual. It is not primarily physical or military or political. Peace for the nation flows from peace in the hearts of individuals. This is why it's so imperative that the gospel reach all corners of the earth. Peacemakers are not power brokers, but people lovers. 
And we all need more of this in our lives. Lastly, God blesses those who are persecuted for doing right, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. Kingdom honor is not granted as compensation for the unfairness of life, but as a blessing on those who have actively pursued true kingdom righteousness and have suffered for it. Suffer for the gospel, it looks a lot different than it did in the first century. Suffering criticisms and anger because we don't think church should be done your way. Unfortunately, some of those slings and arrows comes from the very churches that we belong to. And some of you have been hurt and some of you have suffered and some of you are here because you're tired of that. And you just want a place where you can worship God in a language that makes sense with a group of people who want to have those pure hearts undistractedly looking for Jesus in every word of scripture and every space between every word of scripture. All this to say, relevancy is recognizing that everyone needs love all the time. And the reason we talk about Jesus is because we understand that God is love. And we also understand from Colossians 1.19 that God was pleased to put everything that he was into Jesus. His fullness is expressed through Jesus. So do you want to know what love is? Then you need Jesus. And since we understand that love is the greatest relevancy, then Jesus is the greatest relevancy. This goes so far beyond the kind of music you play, the kind of way you decorate a church. That makes those conversations honestly just silly. Because what we're called to do is show the greatest love, the love that comes through Jesus in words and actions that are relevant to people's lives. Crosswalk will be, will live out the ways of Jesus that are relevant to her place and time. That's today, right here in Redlands, California, as you walk out these doors. That's our end statement number three. And I think it's one of the reasons why you're here. Let's bow our heads. Heavenly Father, Lord, I just want to thank you for Jesus. Never would have understood what love was. Never would have understood it in a way that made any sense to me. I would have aspired to it. I would have, I would have searched for it. I would have searched the universe for it. But you, you plopped it down in, in, a, in a, you know, a piece of dirt. And we have the opportunity to look back to that piece of dirt and see that man living there and see that God expressed through him fully human, fully divine, 100% love. Lord, may we live a fraction of that love every day and always recognize that you are with us in this mission to progress the gospel to all the world while we can serve who you are every day. In your name I pray, amen. Stand and worship with us one more time.